Okay, hello again. We're back. All of you have hopefully the new um, day. done your due diligence. If you haven't watched Forrest Gump yet, you can't listen to this. <laughs> really, it won't make sense. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, and if you don't, um, if you try to, we have uh, loosed a special kind of earworm. You'll feel it soon. <laughs> they, it's the only thing that wasn't car parts that they caught in bubble gum was a crazy fucking tapeworm and it's climbing inside your guts, right? <laughs> yeah. Or we'll have someone standing at the front of Music Box every time they tear your ticket and they'll be like, did you watch Forrest Gump yet? And you'll be like, oh. what? And they're like, did you watch Forrest Gump? Yep. It'll be Matt. Sweet Matt. Sweet Matt. And you'll, they'll be like, no. And then he'll get the little scotch tape that he's been saving on his pants and he'll tape that ticket back together and he'll say, go watch Clue next door, the stage play of Clue. Walk on, no refund. No <laughs> refund, we're taking your money. Nope. That's right. So uh, here's here's to uh, everyone who did watch it. The seal of approval. No one talking. <laughs> Yes. So, so, um, so here we are. We're we're figuring out where we're going. Post Gump world. So, Gump has made a bunch of money. It's big. It's a hit. So it's like, well, I'm gonna make my next movie. I'm probably not gonna return to the exact milieu of my past. I have now created a new chapter for me. Now, maybe you think this is watered down Zemeckis, fair, mm-hmm. but. Maybe this is the evolution of Zemeckis and his style. And this might not be a step back from the raucousness of the past. I think uh, he's just mutated and taken on a new form and in many ways, a better form. Mm -hmm. Because this is uh, some truly subversive filmmaking if we're really talking about subversive filmmaking. Right. And Uh, we, um, real quick, between these technically in the chronology which we're not going to talk about because we covered it early on is a story that Zemeckis and Bob Gill wrote when they were still kiddos this is where Bordello Blood comes out right between Forrest Gump and the next movie we're going to talk about Um, oh and the Frighteners shit yeah that's right the Um, horror movies he was gonna make yep never got to make never got to make um and we're fine. And we also mark again. I wish I knew more details, and I wish I could figure this all out. Uh, but so, as we said, Zemeckis left Universal to make Forrest Gump with Paramount, mm-hmm. and then this time he hops over to Warner Brothers. For his yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. But so, what's the what's this movie, John? This is a movie called Contact from 1997. Mm-hmm. It's got Jody in it. It's got Jody in it. And it's got Matthew McConaughey. Uh, it's got a lot of people firing on quite a few cylinders. Hoping for an Oscar nom is how I would say people are acting. Except for John Hurt. John Hurt truly, I feel like, was like, wait, is this a movie? Or yeah, is what this what I'm doing, doing this weekend? <laughs> yeah, what am I doing here? I'm going to put long pants on, sorry. Will get to see me just robe a little. Yes. This is what he's been waiting for. <laughs> you gotta put in put in some music here. 
Yeah. yeah but while, while you're doing that, I'll just list some more people who are awesome in this movie. Okay. Angela Bassett. Yeah, Tom, Angela Bassett. Tom, from Tom Star fucking Star Scarrett. That's right. Tom, Tom Scarrett, who's one of my favorite people. <laughs> I love that dude. I love Tom Scarrett. He's, yeah. Yeah, it's really, uh, he's... He's an interesting one to say the least. Um, yeah. William William Fickner, um, yeah, who I love really do Fickner. love. He's in he's in a lot of things related to this movie actually, so I think he has an interest. Um, but I will say, just to get us off on the right foot, <laughs> mm-hmm. and sorry to anyone who disagrees with this, but one of my favorite things uh, people call it cringe now. One of my my absolute favorite cringe things is when uh, people who are uh, definitely not without sight uh, play blind people, but (laughs) really overdo it, really overdo it. We're the kind of thing where, um, as we all know, your other senses are heightened. So, you know, you adapt and you're great at existing in the world because it doesn't mean you can't exist in the world if you can't see. You're like, uh, but, <laughs> but he does that. He does that one of, of my most favorite thing where he can smell people as soon as they come in the room and hear their footsteps and know exactly where they are. Well, he's also a scientist and using computers, but he always looks just over their shoulder <laughs> for quite a while when they first see each other. <laughs> it's, oh, it's awesome. So here we go. Contact everybody. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love that shit. I'm sorry. I no, it's good. I, I truly love that shit too. Um, <laughs> and he's a good actor. So it's funny also because, yeah. I mean, that was the, that's how you did it. That's how you, like you said, got him for that Oscar nom. Yeah, they were they were because people knew that this was gonna f- be an Oscar uh, contender, probably right. Yeah. yeah. So Zemeckis wasn't even supposed to be the director for this. I, I don't remember who was supposed to be. He but, was. Um, I forgot. I wrote it down. You can somewhere. take a look and let us know. But um, he uh, he jumps on midway, but he also is able to secure somewhat final cut, but. Not entirely, because the State Department uh, and the Department of Defense kind of got the last word, as they usually do. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not the fault of the filmmaker. Uh, I love when people, it's like, when they're like, oh, but there was actually a whole military subplot where they... (laughs) Uh, they're mean to the military and it's like okay well he wrote it he he thinks that way did you think robert zemeckis was gonna be able to challenge the united states military yeah you're out of your <laughs> fucking mind uh, also up. it's i always forget the, I, I don't know how to say the guy's name i never have but the dude that did the fucking killing fields and the mission roland whatever the fuck joe fay joe fay roland Jop. Jo- yeah, that guy Roland who's a good a good actor. Yeah, Roland yeah. Joff over here. Roland Joff. He was supposed to direct, and also George Miller was supposed to direct. That's it. That was it. It was George Miller. Yep. yep. Well, that might have been cool too. Just give us all three. As always, we just want all of them. We don't need anyone to not get to make it. <laughs> yeah, we want three versions of contacts. Um. Yeah. So all with Fickner still playing blind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes so <laughs> okay i can't think about that i'm gonna keep right, it keep going, um, keep going. Well, let's get real it actually it's very funny but um 
thinking about him stumbling around. Okay. <laughs> it's the it's literally just the looking. <laughs> yeah. So so this movie contact. Yeah. Carl starts Sagan. off. You guys have heard of him. You've heard of it. So you've hit you're rewatching it. You've hit the stinky and you're watching it and you are amazed by that opening scene. Oh. Where the camera travels back through our world into the universe, the surrounding galaxy, solar system, to show how a music travels into the uh, the ether. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, oddly, she, the Cullen brothers paid tribute to and burn after reading. They do. One of, they, the, one of the weirdest homages I know of. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yes. And well, and uh, uh, Zemeckis homages it himself with a movie yeah. called Beowulf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes, it's a brilliant shot, and it's even still brilliant in Beowulf. Um, but uh, you know, you see the you see him starting here. So this is a movie about um, I don't know Jodie Foster trying to find UFOs and the White House being involved. Uh, it's it's an alien movie. And it seems to be Zemeckis having a little fun with his old buddy Steven Spielberg and his alien movies. So there's a great scene where Jody makes a little comment about how Hollywood's been making billions off alien movies for years. Um, also, her struggle to find funding uh, sort of mimics uh, Zemeckis's struggle to find funding in Hollywood. And, um, and it's a lot of time is spent on her being interested in making efforts to do something that has yet to be done. Um, and exactly. that's stupid because... You know, and when she gets a hit, she gets all her big machinery. Yep, all her big ass satellites and all this stuff just yep. comes right to her. It's a little bit his, uh, <laughs> not the same, but I I did have a moment. I was like, it's a little bit uh, Zemeckis' Schizopolis. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. It's not obviously we're not doing exactly the same thing here in really any way, but it's a little bit his Schizopolis. Yes. It is. And we're starting to see, finally, the Zemeckis character that is inescapable from Zemeckis from here on out, from Forrest Gump. Now we're seeing it cemented, and that is the person obsessed with their own interior world. Someone who has almost completely blocked out the world around them and the experiences there to live in this hermetic mindset. Um and this is that's every Zemeckis character. And if you don't believe me, I will prove it. We will both prove to you that that is every character from here on out. And so much so that she uh, she passes up on big old hunk McConaughey, really, who is first let's just the ultimate bimbo. And he uh he he meets her at like a bar or something like that, and he finds out that he's like a author of some like fucking like spiritualism shit or yeah, something. He's a, he's a he's a guru of sorts. He's a guru of sorts who becomes Clinton's scientific advisor. It's weird we've returned to the Clintons again. I can't believe it. It's almost like Zemeckis <laughs> was making a reaction to Forrest Gump because huh. the Clintons got very mad at this movie. Uh, the White House got very upset because he, a la Forrest Gump, uses footage of um, our good boy Slick Willie and uh, takes it up context to fit the movie. Yep. Um, 
I do know a lot was cut from this movie that the State Department had problems with. I wonder if there was maybe a Clinton scene that they just had to cut. Oh, God damn, please, if that survives somehow, someone get into the Pentagon and find it. But even if he doesn't, he has Matthew McConaughey as his scientific advisor. <laughs> Basically, it's he's hired good. Forrest Gump. Yeah. I mean, kind of. I think that's what he's it saying. Is. No, this it, is. Just it is. waltzes all of Forrest Gump into the White House. Yep. And is an advisor. It is. Yeah. It is so funny. <laughs> um, and this is the scene where he meets her that Matthew McConaughey. Oh, what could the significance of this be? Matthew McConaughey gives Jodie Foster a compass from a Cracker Jack box. Mm. Now, I can't say much <laughs> about something. And one day we will. But right now, that Cracker Jack box compass, where have you seen that before? Well, if you saw the Zemeckis wrote uh, scripted 1941, which, as we said, is a Spielberg movie for sure. But it is also almost equally a Zemeckis Gale movie. I sometimes I think more so than Spielberg. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell. It really is hard yeah. to tell. But Slim Pickens in that movie gets a Cracker Jack compass mm-hmm. that he uses to trick the Japanese and Nazi army with. And now Matthew McConaughey is extending this trickery, this idea of time, this measurement of how universe and life progresses. It's a very rudimentary way to measure our existence on the earth, but that's time. And Zemeckis loves time and he's going to keep, he's been talking about it, but he's going to really start talking about it. Mm -hmm. And this Cracker Jack compass takes on this incredibly mythic thing, especially if you consider it in the uh, context of 1941, except it is just a junk Cracker Jack compass. It ain't that important. It has significance because her character gives it significance. Mm -hmm. But it is a cheap piece of plastic. We'll we'll just say that it makes its appearance towards the end. But we're not going to spoil the ending too much if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, Because maybe some people haven't seen this one. But Really strap in if you can. This is definitely, I mean, you know, all movies for me, but... This is really a lights off. Put your shit away nice and loud. Yes. Let this movie work its magic on you. And the moments that, uh, the moments of mischief and brilliance were really seeing. Yes, absolutely. Um, the Clinton stuff, focus on that. There's a oh, line about so body. <laughs> there is a line about that was really snuck in there about how the money from the White House should be funded to go explore the universe. And Jodie Foster says, well, maybe it'd be better spent than eradicating microbes on an anthill in Africa. Yeah. I mean, I had to like pause it for a second. Yeah. Like, did you, am I high? Or oh, no, they got that. that just say that. It makes me think of the, um, sorry for the uh, smooth brained, jump here but 
It makes me think of one of my favorite moments in that shitty uh, MPAA doc. Oh, <laughs> where, you, you uh, are not. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Where Trey Parker talks about giving the MPAA something to cut so that then you can keep what you actually wanted to do. He's talking about Team America and the sex scene where they shit in each other's mouths. They never wanted that to be in the movie. But they knew if they did that, they would accidentally leave a lot more in Team America and give it an R rating, which it did. It worked. Because whatever, however anyone feels about it, those guys aren't stupid about some things. <laughs> and I wonder if Zemeckis was doing that here. Yeah. Where he was like, because he's not stupid. He no, knows no. he's making a movie at this level, this budget, with this much influence, with the studio, about the subject matter, where he's literally going to do the weird <laughs> the weird mouth animation thing he does with old footage with the Clinton. Yeah. He knows stuff is going to be chopped. Um, so it's pretty amazing to see what he still got through. Right. I, I mean, it's yeah, because... It, these sensors can only focus on so many things. It's like we were talking about earlier with uh, Bride of Frankenstein. It's like mm -hmm. how they smuggled all this like gay shit into this movie. And it's like, well, because they were too busy worried about cutting the religious symbolisms and yeah. the scene where the monster talks to the, the statue of Jesus. And like, that's what they were busy with while these other things like fucking Ernest Thizer or whatever it was Ernest Thizer, whatever that fucking yeah. old queen. like. Yeah waltzing into this movie just really the, yeah just you know limp wristing his ass into this movie <laughs> and um oh, bringing the fucking sunshine bringing the sunshine um so yeah i think this movie just kind of was able to you know it's a sweet hollywood oscar Beatty package and um but again there's don't don't sleep you know don't sleep on what zemeckis is doing even with, and I don't want to get into it because again, appeal and scene, it's obviously an important scene, but you know, what, what people would call the centerpiece of the movie, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, Jodie Foster's character has an experience uh, that she then has to try to communicate to people. Um, the way that experience is portrayed is one of the most like deft balances I've ever seen of being, leaving the viewer very open for a genuine experience and also not missing the chance to ridicule the kind of person who might have said experience. Yes. It's, it's true. I was floored because both happened to me. And I, and I was like, damn, yeah, this is our, this is our dude. This really is our dude. Just he fires only on all cylinders except one movie we'll get to sometime but he really can only fire on all cylinders and that's what i keep landing at as we keep going to this even it when it seems like he might not be if you give it the chance and you watch it all this shit if you just watch it and let it you know fucking glide over you you'll see it it's crazy absolutely i mean if what i said about the crackerjack compass isn't enough to convince you that this is still kind of the same film filmmaker from 1941. Um, think about the scene in contact where <laughs> everyone freaks out because the aliens beam back an image of Hitler. And yeah. You the way it got, I was, I was just dying watching them click the de-interlace button over and over. <laughs> uh -huh. 
it's amazing. And everyone's panicking. They're like, the aliens are sending us a big of a Hitler. Oh no. Oh, what is this? They're all like, what could this mean? It's very funny, actually. But you know, the one smart person in the room's like, well, actually, this is one of the first like images transmitted to outer space in history. Isn't it also a blind man who tells everyone? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> How interesting that it is the blind man. Fuck you, Zemeca. So good. So good. <laughs> to and remind everyone of that, of course, we fucking humans. The first yeah. thing sent out into space. It's one of the one of the people who wiped out, you know, one of the biggest chunks that's ever disappeared in a moment. He did some shit. He did some shit. Did, did some, some rough shit. stuff. Um, but it's funny because like the movie, it's almost like in a way, uh, not exactly literally, but like the Zemeckis idea of like maybe look beneath the surface a little, maybe see what lies beneath. Oh. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll uh, maybe you'll see that the, the Hitler image is actually a secret code to build a, uh, a wormhole portal or something. The most uh, we should move on to the next. But the, ne- the one Zemeckis scene I do want to highlight that is so Zemeckis in this movie is the scene where news gets out that there are aliens and there are the caravans of people everywhere. Treating, they're treating it like it's Woodstock yep. and these all these different factions. And it, I, I mean, we don't need to go into what that is. I think now we, if you, uh, you've played along with us, you can see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Zemeckis, it's just, it, it's mind bogglingly cool. Yeah. And um, I mean, there's so much to get into with this. I just think we, for sake of time, well, it's bad. We're getting to a point. It's just hard not to do one episode for every movie. But I know, but we'll keep not, moving. We'll keep moving. Keep Let's moving. just do it. Let's cut yeah. it right now before we, because we're there's so much I want to talk about with this one. So let's move on. So now we have two other movies to get through from this period. So he has done Contact. Now he is moving on to his next project. It involves the star of Forrest Gump, mm. Tommy Hank. Well, Tommy Tom. Wait, okay. that's not next. Oh, but it is. Uh-uh. Well, what do you think's next? Well, it came out first. I know, but... Oh, duh, sorry. C- continue. We'll go stand in the corner. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll be sorry. back in a minute. Um, sorry, guys, I'm in trouble. Will got in trouble and... Uh, Keep going. <laughs> Fiance is going to waterboard his ass for me. (laughs) Um, So what's next (laughs) is Castaway. Huh. Okay. So I know you're all like Will right now. I mean, like, I'm on IMDb right now and that's not true. I know I'm slow today and it's not probably coming out the way I want it, but I know what I'm talking about. I know I'm also stupid and you shouldn't believe most of what I say, but this is true. So Castaway is next. He starts work on Castaway. He begins filming Castaway. Tom Hanks has to be marooned on a fucking island. So being Mr. Method, one another Oscar dude, he has to go away in the middle of production to become very gout and 
you're gaunt and <laughs> not getting gout. Like, what a was, I gotta, I gotta go get gout real quick. Yeah, he got gout for his latest movie, but uh, <laughs> man, you look really gout tonight. Looks gout. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've had only it's now almost 5 30. I have to go to a dinner and then a Halloween party, and I have had oatmeal. Yeah, I don't want to hear it. I gotta I gotta host a Bollywood horror movie tonight. We're both surviving. Let's talk about Castaway. Castaway. So <laughs> Tom Hanks has to go do this shit. So Zemeckis, being Zemeckis, is bored and he's like, Well, fuck. I gotta shut production down. Uh, well, he grows his hair out. Um, so it looks like he's been on an island for four years. I like, fuck, what am I going to do? All right. Now you can all relax. Will too. <laughs> <laughs> so he decides in his downtime, just in his downtime, he wants to make a movie that came across his desk that Spielberg brings to him because he knew that Zemeckis wanted to do a horror thriller he wanted to come back yes wanted to come back so he gives him a copy of the movie what lies beneath starring michelle pfeiffer who for a certain generation our listeners god she puts that bird in her mouth and batman returns dear lord yep she got her to, to to be lazy about it she got her claws into us early on and Never let us go. Never let us go. Never and, let us go. And she and started with, in this one. I'm jealous of their yeah. sexual scenes. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. So with Harrison Ford, and this is a movie. Maybe some people haven't seen, but you probably have. Um, yeah. Movie where this woman, uh, very much processing the grief of her daughter leaving, which is signaling to her something about her sort of narc. Her like um, her illusory experience that she's been living in, something is unlocked, mm-hmm. and something that she might know the whole time starts to reveal itself to her. Now she is living in what looks like a, you know, a Reader's Digest style like East Coast home. Yeah, it's like Berkshire's shit. Yeah, it. They got money. This place is nice. They, uh, you know, they're driving great cars. Her friend is also rich because she's getting her husband's alimony money and she buys a car with it. And she's just living this existence where her husband is out trying to, well, he's, what he is, is someone who is on the Epstein flight logs. Yes. You should always be worried with someone who works with shit like that. Uh-huh. And he is, uh, he is uh, very hard at work on um, something. So he's kind of neglecting her. And Claire, clearly, Claire is the name of Michelle Pfeiffer. Once her daughter leaves, she clearly is a, doesn't have to work. Uh, just gets to live a beautiful existence on um, on pain pills, basically. Which or is forced. Or is forced. Existence. Yes. That is not so beautiful, and maybe it's not what she wanted. Yes. So, I mean, because she even says the biggest thing she has in the week is to take pictures for her garden club. Yep. So, clearly, she just is bored and uh, now has an empty home with a husband who's out, you know, like, uh, trying to splice 
jeans like he's posting Joseph Mangala or something. Mm. And yeah, so she um, suddenly starts to be to think that something is going on next door with her neighbors. I'm going to try not to do the whole plot here, but what no. is happening is she is looking at these neighbors. It's very Hitchcockian. There's very overt Hitchcock homages. So much. Jesus Christ. It's like 15 movies. Yeah. And he's trying to, he's trying to, to distract you. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Much like Claire is distracting herself so much so that she doesn't know what her own life is anymore. And she now has to put it on the neighbors who she doesn't know and construct this entire fantasy in her illusory world that there is murder and all the bad stuff happening next door. There's two movies in this movie. There is that rear window kind of spoof in a way. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other movie because suddenly it changes gears when she realizes that the husband has not killed her. And this ghost that might be in her house, because she starts experiencing ghostly things. Well, I'm not so sure Zemeckis is giving us a straight ahead ghost movie. And there are a lot of examples where this is not necessarily an external ghost. This could be much like Steve Carell and Marwin, a certain drug induced blue fairy that kind of keeps them satiated with their uh, drug addled life. And so it's very possible that she could be hallucinating, but what is being revealed to her is not her subconscious. It's very much her conscious mind that has been buried under drugs. And it is desperately trying to tell her because it's not like she's in a normal movie like this, where she's like uncovering mysteries and like finding this out and leading to this and to that. It's not um, much. Yeah, but, but what's ha- what she has to do that, but why it's coming yeah. to her is it's coming to her from her own fucking head. Yeah, because they're, I mean, and it's clear about that too. Because at one point she goes to a party, completely forgets that she makes a scene at this party until someone had pointed out that she did that last year. Yeah. And we start realizing like her back history that there is a major emotional, mental problems going on. Mm-hmm. She has left her husband who she loved who might have died i don't know how but he might have died and she gave up her passion and we see this in photos like zemeckis loves to show us we see that she has thrown all of her passion away to have a very comfortable life the kind of comfortable life that you would get in a home and garden magazine with the perfect husband who does, he makes money for them, but he's still got time to bone. Like it all jokes and yep. He makes jokes. A very key scene that I think is where she really starts to realize what's going on is the scene where she goes to dinner. The odd Jesus Christ, the audio design on that scene is, Oh my fucking God. It's, I didn't take oh notes on this because my mind was just like spiraling. It's oh, I have two that I really have to get out. Okay, so, um, what what you hear, and when you hear it in that sequence is truly that's I I mean, don't go to film school, just watch that scene. Just watch that because 
Yeah, she meets a fellow uh, once violinist who also has seemingly might have thrown their passion away for a comfortable life with another creepy doctor. Another Epstein, bro. Another Epstein, bro. And if you think we're just putting that in there because we're being funny. So there's an unbroken shot of the camera tracking in on their conversations. Claire and the other person are talking about, they're talking about the past. And, oh, wasn't this great? Remember when we did this? Oh, this is great. They're just lit. You know, they're living in kind of an illusory reality still that they don't realize what's happening. And it's happening literally in front of them. Their husband. You can hear both crystal clear, which I still don't quite understand. Brilliant audio design. You're right. That is truly <laughs> like. I don't. I really. I'm not sure. I don't understand. You should have gotten an Oscar for that. Just for the scene. Yeah, yes. And um, she, you see that she is not facing uh, up to maybe her addiction to Valium at this point, because what the husband is talking about is how easy it used to be that you could fuck a student or an intern. Now, they don't say it like that. They say it in a very, I'm a doctor is, at dinner way. What does uh, Harrison's Ford character say? He says something like it's they don't let you get away with that so easy anymore or something like that. Yeah. And the guy goes, you got that right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. While they're talking about their non-existent lives. <sighs> Disturbing. And then we find out that Harrison Ford was having an affair with one of his students. Now this is the crux of the, I guess stop listening here. If you don't want spoilers, cause we gonna, ha- we have to go into spoilers. Yeah. Harrison Ford is set up to be an adulterer, but not a murderer until he is revealed to be both. Mm-hmm. And they will get to Allied, but this is the seeds of Allied to me. Mm-hmm. These are two people doing their best to live in an illusory romantic married world. Harrison Ford almost as much as her. They're kind of both the Jodie Foster character. Um, they're yeah, yeah. obsessed with work and they are just, they are trying so hard to maintain the illusory thing. So much so that he's like, you don't have to do this. We can just keep going. But at this point, she's probably not been on as much Valium. So she's starting to think like, this has to change. You need to, I know now that you have, killed someone who you were cheating on me with and i actually suppressed the memory of seeing it you, there's, oh. there, there's probably no ghost in this movie this is uh no, marwin this, this is yeah. welcome to marwin it's one Keep of the on. it's one of the it's one of the moments i most wish i always uh i always wish i could have made fun of roger ebert because if I remember correctly, like one of his big things was he because he loves Zemeckis, right? You know, he's a supporter for sure, for the most part. Um, but if I'm remembering right, he talked about, uh, you know, he's like, this is this is clearly a Zemeckis doing a Hitchcock movie, but where he failed is he did what Hitchcock never would have done and brought in the supernatural. And I was like, bitch, you just did what you never should have done and missed it. <laughs> But he's 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 distracting you with this Hitchcock shit. Yes, it's all because it's so overblown. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna pack in like he's not gonna put trouble with Harry references next to Psycho and Vertigo references unless he's doing something exactly. And <laughs> well, it should even Mister. Mrs. Smith like some of their like he's going that deep, right? Like no, totally. Like 
Hitchcock comedies in yeah. this movie and not like the horror comedies. He's doing the straight up comedies because there's a bunch of Mr. and Mrs. Smith here. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Marnie. Yes, so much Marnie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Doing so, all that shit. And it's very clearly for a purpose. Yes. And I'm not going to go into all the ghost scenes. Yes, someone could be like, oh, I think it is a ghost because of this. I can beat you on every scene where the ghost comes up and you think it's in a. It ain't good. My theory, not a ghost. But it could be both. It could be both. So since we got to move on, we're just going to say, because we talked about Hitchcock, this is one of the most impeccably shot things ever. Broken, unbroken shots. The scene where they hear the person next door, they hear the people fucking at the very beginning, and they fuck. That is one fucking shot. Mm-hmm. And it breaks yeah, it one like, point to show a reaction shot, but you can see clearly that he it does that to be like, I could have stunted on you. Here's the reaction shot. Let's go back to the unbroken shot. I'm not a showy guy because he's this isn't children of men. This isn't look at the sh- unbroken shot. This is a, a Hollywood master shooting things the way your Hawks, your Hitchcock, your Ford, your Walsh, whatever you want to fucking say. They all. Yep. And it's just, you, I mean, you highlighted it. It's, it's the editing. Like that's what comes to the surface here. Or that's what, if we're, you know, let's be stupid about it. What lies beneath is the editing. Because when he decides to cut shots, when he decides to switch angles, when he decides to reveal the jump scares, like all, it's fucking, oh it's my god, it's masterful, and it feels it's so exciting. clean too. Oh, it's it, so exciting, but but yeah. it's light. You're just like you don't even notice this when you see the movie. No, because like, that's what that's part of why he's not talked about. That's why he's not studied because he he truly he makes himself disappear, and that is an incredible skill to have. The invisible camera, as Hawks alluded to. Yep. Or Andre Bazin about about whatever that whole invisible yeah. camera. I think it, yeah, yeah, yeah. The only it, last thing I want to like highlight is just one of the most fun things that he does here. I think is it's constant fucking with tropes, right? Obviously, with all the Hitchcock stuff. But one of my favorite things that he does that I personally, please tell me if you know uh, otherwise, but I'm not sure if I know of a movie that flips this many times. In the realm of, we start with clearly a house psychotic woman movie, right? So we're doing, we're dealing with a woman going through something that she knows is real and no one will believe her. But so quickly that switches. Harrison Ford's character, even though he still has to make snide jokes and all that stuff, clearly does, from the perspective of experiencing this movie for the first time, clearly does believe her. Yeah. Right? And he's like, yes, okay, we're going to figure this shit out you know, that first time you're experiencing it. So it's already flipped and you're like, wait, well, what the fuck is this then? And then it flips again. (laughs) And then it flips again, but it's not some Christopher Nolan shit because they're not twists. Like that's why flip is important because it's not a twist any time that that happens. Because it's It's been there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's never not been there. He's just, again, showing you a new layer that you weren't paying attention to yet. And it's fucking incredible. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. And, and yeah, there's just two shots I want to talk about with the Hitchcockness. There's, of course, he does the under the floor, which just got to, I mean, that's who who doesn't love when someone does that? Right. Um, with the invisible floor. One of the best shots, though, is the shot that leads Claire around her upstairs while she's doing laundry and going oh. through the bedroom and the bathroom. Just a tour de force shot. 
look out for it when you watch this movie. If you rewatch it, really do try to pay attention to the duration. I know that's kind of gay and stupid, but like, trust me, it's it's fun, and you'll see it, and you'll be like, whoa, okay, <laughs> like pretty impressive. But again, it's not. It it, it 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 never switches to being about that, which is why this movie is fucking awesome. Yeah, and also weak, uh, weak fucking uh, sad ending. Uh, <laughs> like you think she's like taking care of the husband. What the fuck is she going to do at the end of that movie? And you know what? Life is like a box of chocolates, and sometimes you know exactly what you're going to get. And Claire, and we all know, should know what's coming, because the second she walks to go see her husband in the lab, in his geneticist lab, and they are literally in front of her working on a paralyzation serum that clearly is supposed to represent the mouse is Claire. She is a fucking mouse waiting to get chloroformed so much so that when she walks up, there's a shot of the mouse and they're giving it the drug and off screen, you hear one of the scientists go Claire and you hear Claire over the image of the mouse. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Like, so yeah. yeah. Paralyzed, but still cognizant. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. So what the fuck is this geneticist working on? What the, like, it's really, yeah, it's, and it's also classic. It's amazing how classic Hollywood that moment is because that shit happens all the time. If you climb back into like forties and fifties movies where they'll drop some insane science shit like that, but never talk about it again. And you're like, wait, are these like, are these like superpowers? <laughs> are these like evil people running the world? For instance, are these people selling stuff to Jeffrey Epstein and the like? Why on earth would anyone need to make a drug that paralyzes you but keeps you cognizant unless that's for sick fucking shit? That's only for sick fucking shit. The end. The end. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just like this movie about uh, the anxieties of a marriage, like uh, allied. It's uh, it's the anxieties of being with another person who you don't entirely know or know too well. And, you know, it's... um. It's, um, I mean, it's like that scene where they're on the boat and they're like, we'll go antiquing. We'll get our fall sweaters out and we'll have a latte and go antique. They're, they both know at that point it is coming to an end mm -hmm. and they are trying so hard to keep this illusion up. Yeah. It's heartbreaking, actually. Um, even though he's a piece of shit. But, oh. you know, for Claire, oh, it's sad. Yeah, no, it's a really, it's a really, it's a really tragic movie. And again, it's kind of a, a lot of people are in the mood and as they should be because the re-release of the book and like all this shit for how psychotic women stuff, I truly think anyone who's climbing into that world, whether you've seen it and you think you remember it, if you're doing a house of psychotic women deep dive, don't forget to include this one because I really think it's a, it's a very special and very unique chapter in that story and one that comes way later than you'd ever expect should matter absolutely because i i can't personally i can't i don't know if i can think of another movie even in the 2000s that i would qualify as how psychotic women that i care about yeah for sure <laughs> let alone think is great like and you know worthwhile yeah and we're seeing this first character that lives in the elusive world that is probably drug induced yep we'll come back to that so yeah. 
let's move on to the movie we started with here. So we just talked about the movie that he makes on break. Yes. He makes this movie okay. just to kill time. Mm-hmm. So it's Tom, Tom Hanks is growing out his dang hair. And now we are ready to resume Castaway. And Castaway comes out. And it is a hit. We all love that bloody fucking volleyball. I think before we get into it, to me, this is Zemeckis' masterpiece. Personally, this is, well, especially for this time, this is the capstone. Forrest Gump tells you where everything's going, and it is masterful for that. This movie, to me, is just astounding on every level. It is a movie that ain't going to get made today. It is a movie funded by a Hollywood studio that over ha- like about half the movie is no dialogue and no musical score. Um, kind of similar to like something like War of the Worlds, where it's like that movie is an alien invasion movie. Shut up. But half the movie takes place in basements, hiding, and everything's off screen. Not what you would think you're going to get from a Steven Spielberg movie, but you get a hermetic chamber piece of this family despite what will thinks of that movie that is true oh that's a future thing to fight about wait i have to pee before we do it okay i'm gonna do the same so folks this is the the take a piss hour um all right so will's back from passing a stone and now (laughs) will what did you let's just say what is what is your just initial reactions on um how you used to feel about Castaway and what you saw this just you're just fleeting emotions of Castaway this time. Do you want to know the really this is you're probably gonna be disappointing because it's kind of a stupid thing, but sure I will, but so I always loved this movie, right? There was never a moment I didn't. Um yeah, this is a universally beloved movie. Yeah, sure. I rewatched it a lot. Um, you know, it was in my film school, it was taught for the purpose of uh, editing and script writing. It was on TBS every day. On TBS every day. It was, you know, a stone cold dad classic. Uh-huh. Um, and the one thing my whole life since this movie came out that I've always been pissed about, about this movie. Well, I guess one and a half things. Half because one doesn't matter and it's just the world we live in and it's actually part of Zemeckis's point um in my opinion but i used to get very mad about the how much you know money fedex paid to be the centerpiece of this movie but once i grew up i learned that that was very intentional on Zemeckis's part and there's also a lot to that uh-huh. the other thing that used to infuriate me and i truly would say it kept it from being a masterpiece was how stupid I thought it was that his license plate and his name were Noland or no land, if you will. And it used to make me truly quiver with rage. Like how much I was like, you're throwing away this movie. You're throwing away all these brilliant things you've done. But this time, watching everything in order, I finally grew up again. And I learned that uh what Zemeckis is interested in is trying to pull the rug out from under himself as much as he can and that he has never made a movie 
without levity. And to me, that that joke there, that name, it's a moment of reminding you that, yes, this is emo- an emotionally involving and exhausting and uh, movie at times. Um, that at the end of the day, it's also a little bit silly, <laughs> which only made it only made it sing more. So I came to peace with the one thing I had left. Yeah, the idea of that floating fucking feather returns. Mm-hmm. And that's what um, it is. It's the camera attached to the FedEx box and it's his license plate, no land. Oh my God, the camera attached to the FedEx box. I'd completely forgotten about that. Oh, that used to get me so, I used to get so mad. I love it. Oh, I do now. I do yeah. now as well. But at the time, well, at the time I was just, I was even like, I was that kid. I was writing about product placement in Hitchcock movies. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote about, I wrote about the deal he signed with Mercedes. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Okay. When he had, uh, I, I, I have to look back. It doesn't matter. I don't want to get distracted, but I wrote about the deal he had with them because I was so mad about product placement. Anyway. <laughs> well, okay. That's very funny, actually. Yeah. And this is a movie you've all seen. I know you have. Yep. So when you rewatch it, it is pretty painful because uh, at this time I immediately, and I've seen it many times, I kind of just started bawling when he goes to see Helen Hunt. And this is a man up until this point who we are seeing is defined by a very rigid, fixed parameter of time keeping time never letting time off of his radar um and so much so that when he goes to see helen hunt for what is going to be definitely one of the last times they are together as a couple Allah, what lies beneath we are seeing these two people dance away reality because it is about to come crashing down very soon and this beautiful relationship is about to end and um so much so that they're they're dancing to the imaginary music he starts dancing with her because it is the sound of the printing that keeps a metronomic time it keeps time Mm -hmm. and so when he's dancing it is very underlined by the fact that there is a sound that is counting the seconds away followed by a christmas dinner scene and that he he literally it's christmas eve he cannot, um, he can't miss his flight. I think most people would be like, I am hanging out with my beautiful wife. It's Christmas. Fuck Malaysia and what I need to do over there. I'll catch another flight. But because he is so in his illusory world of time, he can't see what's in front of him. And as he says, he turns his back on time. He, uh, he decides to get on uh, his plane and it has one of the um, just oh, that scene's just so sad where they're in the car and he's giving her the the Christmas gifts, and um, she is not impressed by any of them because they are very stupid, like what an uh, a aloof lover would get you. Even though you can tell that he loves her and cares for her, uh, she gets a pager, um, she gets a cell phone or something like that, uh, and then. What what's the she because he gets off and she's like okay see you later and he gives her a wedding ring. It was all a gag. 
it was all a gag, but it was the kind of gag that only a person who has those blinders on would think would be worth it. Would uh-huh. think would be funny to do to someone who sees themselves as the only person who's ever seen them fully. Like the kind of gag that is like, oh, it just, it just floored me. It's, just, yeah. Like that kind of, that kind of, again, that kind of solipsism to a level. And again, these kind of men that Zemeckis has focused on his whole career yeah, who ruin everything for themselves. But that kind of solipsism where you're like, this is so funny. If yeah. she thinks that I don't know her or care about her at all right before I propose to her. That's so fucking dark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, so I mean, fucking dark. <laughs> and that that joke and darkness gets answered at towards the end of the movie, because we're not worried about spoilers with this one. Um, he gets back to land, he finds out that he has been buried. And they're like, he's like, You buried me. And they're like, Yeah, we buried. He's like, Well, what'd you put in the coffin? They say they put in a phone and a beeper. The gifts that he gave her the night before he disappeared, their relationship ended, the two cheap fucking electronic things that she had no interest in. And she puts them in the empty coffin. Damn. So he gets on the flight. He uh, crashes. I mean, the plane crash is just one of the most astounding uh, things that Zemeckis special effects has ever captured. Uh, it's it's terrifying. That is a terrifying plane crash. Most terrifying thing he ever captured until, until a certain thing later we'll get to. Until another plane crash, which he <laughs> jacks up. He jacks oh. up the he knew yeah. that this scene rocked and was like I also just I just wanna say I don't this time I I noticed it before, but I didn't give it much thought before. I don't think it's to be slept on that though it's not racially motivated necessarily i don't think we're meant to miss the fact that the the that this character who is so intensely inside his illusory world who does he make work for him obviously for nothing to make a stupid joke point that opens this movie that is paid for by a very real thing and that is a child that is a child and in front of some very intensely working class people in a disgustingly beaten down factory in a country that is not his, that he has no care for because it's just another stop on his watch. I don't think it's, it's to be missed that Chuck Noland right before he disappears forever. The, the last thing he does outside of what we just covered, the last thing he does is make a child work for him to get a point across in a country that he has, no association with really no understanding of and no care for pays him with a snickers bar and a cd player that i'm sure he was gifted Mm -hmm. (laughs) cheap electronics not to not to be missed that we're still (laughs) dealing with cheap machinery Mm -hmm. used as currency Um, and exploitation you know and and he's not someone who is ruled by time he who tries to rule time that's right. Yes. That is his greatest flaw. That is mm-hmm. the mistake he makes. And Hanks thinks he is doing the good thing by keeping packages moving on time, keeping uh, our postal service working, FedEx or whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, and is uh, 
as he says, turns his back on time because he attempts to be God. And um, you can't do that. So, you know, you would think that this is God in a Forrest Gump manner. You'd think this is God punishing him with that, with that plane crash. But unfortunately it is the randomness of the world that does it. And he just, unfortunately at once seals his fate and also just makes the wrong move. And uh, plane goes down the, the visuals of him in the water with the burning wreckage is just magnificent. Uh, that's how CGI should be used always. Um, then he arrives on his island. And it is the most unsexy Tahitian island you've ever seen. He, uh, he, he starts his journey on the island where um, one of the greatest scenes, I think, is where you find out that the rope he's trying to get to uh, make his raft, and they don't say it with dialogue, clearly he tried to kill himself. The one flaw is that later in the movie, he has to have an explanation showing, telling someone, I tried to kill myself, yeah. which didn't need that. But whatever, I'm not gonna not gonna fall. But that's what I think. It's also right. None of the stuff in between is what needs to be focused on. Yeah, because that's what everyone talks about. Right. I think it's what we talked about in a bonus thing coming up. So don't you get into it too much. But the scene in the car at the end that really, yeah. Again, you know, everyone talks about when he, he sleeps on the floor instead of the bed when he gets back, right? Like all these things. But what really matters is the 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 body language and the way they both react to each other when they're in that car trying to decide if they're gonna try again, essentially, when he gets back and they're reunited. It's just I don't know. It was oh. yeah, it's it's um it's very heartbreaking. It's, um, you know, but it was, I don't know. I found it exhilarating also. Yeah, also. Yeah. Because it's none of, none of it's easy outside of the explanation that you brought up. Honestly, that's the one easy thing this movie does. Yeah. Is that explanation? Otherwise. Yeah. And, and, and otherwise it just lets it breathe. And absolutely. However you, feel with it, however you feel with it. It's such a, it's again, it's a very, um, a typical uh, mainstream American film because it respects its audience. And it, outside of that moment, doesn't tell you how to feel. And it doesn't do cheap uh, shit on the island. Like mm-hmm. most filmmakers would have you, he has to wrestle a snake or <laughs> has to like a, a tiger or monkeys attack. I, mean, I don't know. Like well, just classic island you. shit. Yeah. I mean, maybe that happens, but we don't see it. I mean, yeah. well, clearly a lot happened because he's grizzled and hardened and he's an, an incredible hunter all of a sudden to be able to, because what he doesn't said is do that crazy cut to him spearing the fish from like a fucking hundred yards away, which is unreal. Mm-hmm. So a lot happened there, but it's great that we don't see. Yeah. And kind of like flight will go to, we are seeing a character that is supposed to be wanting to be completely liberated from this island. And of course, he wants to get off the island. Like, he needs to get off the island. When he's able to get off the island, what saves him is a random piece of a porta potty. A stinky shit wall washes on sh- ashore, and he's like, 
I am now saved by this. And he is, but it's a porta potty. The, the worst shits in the world are being taken in that porta potty. <laughs> and um, he, he gets it and he leaves the island. And there is, you know, he finally leaves the island. And then you see that shot where he kind of looks back at the island in a manner that isn't exactly like, I'm relieved to be gone. It's like a tender, there goes that island, and now I am hurtling, in, truly now, into the unknown. And I don't mean, like, will I die out here? I don't think he cares mm-hmm. anymore. He doesn't know what now is waiting for him four years from now. So he gets rescued. They save us a lot of the typical scenes that someone would show. He's rescued by that boat where you're just screaming, like, notice the boat behind you. There's a boat behind you, please. Uh, Wake up, bro. Yeah. But he keeps getting, does he keep getting um, sprayed by a whale, an off screen? That's what we're led to believe. It's almost like it's weird, though, because that happens earlier. Because that happens earlier. But it, I mean, I'm not, obviously, I'm not an expert on the activity of whales, but I'm, I don't think they hang out when tankers are around. So it's a very it's a very odd detail to add that he's getting sprayed by the same sound that we know for sure was whales the first time. So I don't know. It's bizarre because you're like, is he because you would think that Zemeckis would show the water coming up. It's not like he he had a huge budget. He could have done anything he wanted. But all those whale things that wake him up kind of happen off screen. And um yeah. you could say that, oh, it's the the precious whale saving his like God saving him and moving him along. It's like, if this was God's plan to maroon the motherfucker on an Island for four years to teach him a lesson, as far as we can tell by the end of that movie, I don't know how much of a lesson has been learned except that he knows to keep breathing and to keep living and to not die. That's what the bleak message of this movie is, is that, you just kind of don't just don't die is kind of what you yeah, can expect from us in this world. Well, and that's and, really, I mean, right. Isn't that it? At yeah. The end, at the end of the day, when you're living on this planet, at least that's it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the purpose is not to be dead. And he can't return to that. He can't return to life properly. He immediately we see him in his hotel room, lying on the ground, living in the illusory reality still when he was living on the island and, and everything was around when he was on the island was when he's realizing he was at that happiest at the moment because he had no control of the world around him, but he knew that she still loved him out there. And that his hope, God damn, I almost want to cry thinking about it. And that he knows that if he can just stay alive and keep breathing, he will get her back. That is all he's living for. He clearly is not living for like much else. Maybe his job a little bit because he saves that package in this like, what turns out to maybe be a good thing for him. But, you know, it's kind of stupid. I mean, so many jokes were made about that. It's like, you should have maybe opened that one package and maybe there was something there that you needed, but he, he lives by this dumb code and doesn't open it. But in a way it's a smart decision because it, it propels him to the final part of the movie. But um, when he's in that hotel room, it's just, you want to die. Cause it's like, 
he's like, fuck, I could just go back to the island where time stood still. I just clicked the light on and off. That's all the light I mean. on and off. Oh, damn. Well, and I think I, I, I do like the package in the end because I think it's a MacGuffin of sorts. Yeah. Because right when, I don't know about you, but every time I ever watch this movie when we get to the point and you see the fucking wings come by on that girl's truck, even though I know it's going to happen every time it happens, I'm like, God damn it. God damn it. I fucking hate this shit. But then it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. He, because, and it's more sad that it doesn't happen because that lets you know that a relationship with anyone can never happen again. And there it is. It's over. Like he, his ability to romantic or otherwise, anything, his, his ability to interact on a deeply personal level with another human being died to in order to survive because he had to kill that. Yeah, oh, like his measurements of time, his mapping of time. It's all been wiped away. I mean, if one thing has been probably imposed on him is that he has realized that time's a construct, man. That, uh, much like uh, Michelle Pfeiffer in uh, What Lies Beneath, Everything that they had that was keeping them moving, um, and I'm not talking about the adrenochrome that Tom Hanks uses now. I mean, like, their characters' motivations, it's gone. And we don't get a chance to see them try to utilize what has changed Mm -hmm. in their world because that's not what Zemeckis is interested in. He's way more interested in the moment where someone decides that they can change their life. And that's up on the viewer if they believe someone could change their life or if they are just going to go down as much sad, sad or lonelier path. And um, that opening is very, or that the ending is, is, you know, it's ambiguous. And, um, and I think people see that final image of him smiling at the camera is like, um, maybe he'll go back, but it's like, no, my guess is he's not going after those wings. No, he's going away from all humans. Yeah. (laughs) He's probably going to go back to that island, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've sufficiently bummed ourselves out. Yeah. I've got um, a scoot. You've got a scoot. That's yeah. That's perfect. It's a bummer ending of a movie, but you know it's beautiful, and you love it when he perhaps he kicks Wilson, and you're like, oh, yeah, Wilson. <laughs> well, I love maybe, the teeth knockout. It's awesome. Maybe that raft will return. Maybe that raft will return. We don't know. So before we return, Zemeckis is going to take a break from Mm -hmm. uh, making the kinds of movies he was making. (laughs) And he is going to attempt to fuck around with mocap. Our next episode. Bear with us. Bear bear with us. You're going to, it's better than you think. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through the mocaps, but we're also going to attach to other mocap movies that come later. It's not in order, but. We got to fill this out this episode. So, it's got to be Mokaip all together. All yeah, so, we're going to give you uh, Polar Express, Motherfucking Beowulf, Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to include The Witches. One we're, we're all scared to revisit The Witches. And the one that I'm actually very in, wanting to revisit that everyone hates Same. Pinocchio. And then what's the other? What is the other one? Come on. The Lost, the Yellow Submarine? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, 
the much the very publicized abandoned yellow submarine movie that would have been uh his uh psychedelic mocap see those blue meanies were gonna be fucking 3d um and would have returned him to the beatles yep. but we'll get to that next time so um we love you all we love you we wish we could hold you like he held helen hunt that last time and with that goodbye